You know, today at Horizon, we're looking at how in a time where there's so much uh, circumstances around us that are uncertain, how do we anchor ourselves in certain truths? So today I'd like you to talk to a friend of Horizon, uh, my friend uh, Mike Collette, who attends here, has been here for many, many years, and Mike's going to share with us a little bit of what he's doing during this time in the medical community. So Mike, now many people know you um, uh, as seeing you as a greeter, but tell us a little bit about who you are, um, what you're known for, and, and your business related to the medical community during this time. Sure. Um, thanks. I, I know a lot, lot knows me as the greeter at, at Horizon, and as, as as well as a lot know me as the ear cleaner on the Belize trips as well. That's so, true. <laughs> but real briefly, my, my, my real job is I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Patient Point, and we provide patient education and patient engagement programs in physician offices and hospitals you know, to, to, as we say, make every doctor-patient engagement better. And we're able to provide those programs at no cost through uh, finding sponsorship from from life science companies, right? Consumer health and wellness companies. And, and so it's a, it's a great win-win. Now, how have you, as a, as a CEO, as a business leader, how have you faced the unknown? Because this has been a level of unknown where it's not just like one piece. You know, it's like the old quadratic formula. In business, often you'll have like, you know, constant and then maybe a couple variables and constant, constant. This has just been like variable, 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 variable. How has this unknown affected you personally and professionally during this time? Yeah, this is um, uh, this is uh, higher level math for sure, right? I don't call it, it. It could be you know whack your porcupine, move your cheese, crazy Ivan, I, I, whatever. There's sort of all these analogies for what happened, but none of them compare to to, to what this really feels like. And and I don't know if I coined this. I was convinced I coined this first, but I've heard other people use it too. Is I literally felt like our heads were being held underwater because we were completely powerless, right? And, and, and many businesses, you know, like ours, because of these restrictions are limited in their ability to generate revenue, right? So you're, you're sort of literally somebody's holding your head down and you're not sure when they're going to let it up, right? And, that, and that's difficult, but it's even more complicated because you still have to figure out how to operate the business. So, you know, I sort of look at it as while my head's being underwater, we're also being asked to play chess. Right? That's literally what I feel like because I'm having to make decisions that not only impact, you know, the company, but but more importantly, the lives of all 150 employees. So it's a it's a real it's a real challenge. Never seen anything like it. I've been doing this for about 30 years and never seen anything like this. You know, one of the things with all the uncertainty, like the things we thought that were secure before, are a little squishy now. Um, how how do you get yourself in the right mental space? And you know, we've been going through the Book of Psalms as a church in different ways through our newsline reflections or through the series Anchored in right now to try and help people find some headspace so that the fears, though are real, aren't the the generating center by which we're making our decisions from the counsel of our fears, but rather from a place of, of more peace or more security by anchoring ourselves in God. What are some of the maybe habits you've started or practiced or began to delve into that have helped you find a good mental space to try and make these challenging decisions when you're playing chess underwater? It's a great question because I absolutely felt like I, I needed something, right? And, and, and it's not me. I am sure that there's many out there that are that are feeling, you know, the same way. And truthfully, this is going to seem like you put me up to this. This is not the case. I did this independently on my own. 
I, I, I started reading the Bible on, on a regular basis. And it was really interesting because I probably started earlier on before the pandemic even became, you know, as, as, as big of a, of a crisis as it is right now. Um, but as I, as I found myself, you know, reading this and I just literally started with the gospels. Cause I was always told if you're going to start reading, start with the gospels yeah. and went through. And, um, the first positive validation I got is literally two days into reading it. I get a text from John Kirby, the man who's got a direct connection, you know, to spiritually everywhere. And he said, Hey, I've been thinking about you. Here's a verse you may want to check out. And I'm like, you've got to be kid. That's too, you know, coincidental, right? Which, yeah. which I'm sure was not. Um, but certainly knew that I was on the right path. But as I, as I continued to read it, I, I, I began to feel, you know, a sense of, of peace, a sense of comfort. And, um, and I, I can't completely explain why, um, and I, I've thought about that a lot, like because I found myself, I found myself um, feeling like I couldn't, I had to do it every day. I couldn't miss a day, hmm. and um, I think it's because it helped me see that there's a larger picture beyond the immediate crisis that I'm dealing with right now, hmm. and that hey, it's going to be okay, right? And that there's a there's a far bigger world going on that that you know <laughs> we don't fully understand or know sure. about, but um, but, but it's, it's going to be okay. And we'll get through this crisis that we're in right now. So I, it, it's, it's a really difficult one, Chad, to, to articulate. All I can tell you is, is it, it definitely makes me feel, feel relaxed and, mm. and, and gives me peace. I think a lot of people I talk to say the same thing. You know, they don't say there was one particular verse, one particular day. It's almost like working out. It's, hey, I started working out and it wasn't like one workout on Monday really changed my life. It was a continual pattern of working out. My body feels better. I'm in better shape. And I think spiritually, the same thing happens. And so you mentioned the Gospels. Those are like these uh, biographies written about Jesus' life. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they all cover Jesus' life from a different perspective. And just reading about Jesus' life and discovering that there is a God who wants to be near you, wants to empower you. It may not be a specific reading, a specific chapter, a specific day, but it's the idea that I know God wants to sort of bring a, a new resource to me. So you said that, uh, you know, Bible study is not a regular occurrence for you, um, or you know, at least not in this kind of habitual way. How would you encourage somebody during this time, as we're doing through these Psalms and giving these real practical habits, to reach out to trust in God or maybe dive into a Bible study when they've never tried it before and it seems very intimidating? Yeah, so, so I think, you know, it's, it's something that you need to, to build into your schedule. And, and, and first of all, you have to make a commitment to it. And I think that's, that's the first thing because, you know, without commitment, you'll, you know, you won't be able to, to maintain the habit. So, you know, I'm pretty good about, I'm pretty disciplined about, about keeping commitments. So once I made myself commit to doing it, I said, I'm going to do it first thing every morning when I get up after I, I put the coffee on, but, but that that's literally the first thing I do. And I found that that routine of, of, of doing it every morning, the first thing when I wake up. And then I also, I, I, I just pick one, um, I guess chapter, right? It's, oh, it's whole yeah. chapter, yeah, chapter, a paragraph, or a verse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, not the entire book, right? Yeah, but just right. a chapter. It's it's manageable, right? Because yeah. it's it's not like um, I have no excuse, right? To to uh, to not do it. 
Um, so breaking it into sort of that, those bite-sized pieces, huh. it, I think really makes a big difference. And, and I will tell you, I endorse this, this study Bible uh, that I've used. It, it, it gives you a lot of uh, the background of what was going on at the time, what is meant, things that you just would, unless you'd really studied the Bible in depth, you wouldn't understand. And uh, I think that would be sort of the other advice for somebody who's starting. I find that very helpful, right? And I find sometimes I, I meant to spend, you know, maybe 10 minutes and, and I end up spending an hour because I end up going down all these bunny holes and going online. I've ordered books uh, uh, from from professors at different universities. And and so it's it's, it's been a great uh, way to catalyze. That's probably the best thing that's happened as a result of all this. In the midst of all this crisis, it, it has been a tremendous catalyst for my for my faith journey. Well, I know one of the things we're trying to do as a church is to help uh, through these online services on weekends, through our uh, Bible reflections and personal phone calls like you got from John or email, is we want to help people do exactly that. How do I find God, not someday, not when this is all over, right now in the midst of this? So I just want to continue to encourage you and, and those of you who maybe have never been in a Bible study before or just tried reading a paragraph a day, you know, follow Mike's advice and, and use our resources if it's helpful to you. Uh, pick up your own study Bible, it's helpful. Call the office so we can get you some resources. But we want to help you learn how to find that place of peace peace even when everything around you is uncertain and that's what it means to be anchored you know you're anchored into something secure even in the middle of the storm so mike thanks for being here and i uh, appreciate it and uh, we appreciate you sharing your story absolutely stay healthy chad and same to all the members of the church all right see you when you get back well there's nothing like starting your morning with some can't get it out of my head by elo have you ever had a thought or an idea that just gets stuck in your head sometimes it's an old song maybe it was that one other times it's sweet Caroline, da, 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 and all day long, it's like, I can't get this out of my head. Other times it's like a verbal boxing match going on in your head. Yeah, yeah, I remember what my wife said last time. She said this, and, and then, well, I'm going to probably say that, and then she'll say this. Yeah, or maybe you're angry at your boss, or you're anticipating a fight with an employee. And so you got these, these thoughts, these dialogues, this boxing match, stuck in your head, just can't get it out of there, no matter how hard you try. Sometimes it's a crystal ball. You ever done the crystal ball? Like fortune-telling worries. I'm wondering about the future, and I'm going to imagine this will happen. Oh, but if that happens, then this will probably happen. And now you have all these worries compiling upon worries, and you can't get them out of your head. Now, sometimes it's insecurity, right? And these last couple months have brought a level of insecurity to us where things we thought were stable, we're now wondering, are they really stable? Sometimes the things relate to how we look. Sometimes it's not what's stuck in our head as much as what's on our head. Last couple of years, I've been losing a lot of hair, and I know many of you are so excited that the state's starting to open up so you can get a haircut. I met my wife many years ago uh, in college because she used to cut hair. And I don't think she's cut my hair in like, I don't know, 20 years. So she's cutting my hair a few weeks ago. And I'm like, wow, do you think I, uh, since I've lost half my hair, I get a discount? Maybe half off? She said, no, with inflation, it's still the same cost. But how do we deal with the anxieties and the insecurities and the worries that come at us? Well, there's an ancient proverb, an ancient book called the book of Psalms, and it's a series of songs or journal entries. One of those songs I want to share with you comes from Psalm 46, 
And it gives us a concept, a word called selah. Selah. Now it's in italics in most Bibles because it's a director's note. It pauses you every so often in the psalm to say selah, which means pause. Let's think about that. Think about what you just read. Ruminate on it. Rehearse it. Let it sink deeper down into your heart. So I want to give you three selahs. And those three selahs are about God and his courage and his strength and how he's going to be with us no matter what we're facing. And when you learn to selah, you're able to overcome those things that get stuck in your head with new messages of hope and courage. The first one I want to share with you, our first Selah, is a Selah about what it means for God to be our refuge. Think about Selah. Think about, pause. Think about God as your, your refuge, a place to find refuge. Think of it like a place to run for cover when things are challenging. Here's how the journal entry or song begins. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And then, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And a verse later it says, say la. Think about that. Think about what it means for God to be a place of refuge and strength. And no matter where you are or what you're facing, he is available in the tightest of places. In fact, I got to see that firsthand many years ago when I went to Israel. There's a place called En Gedi. En Gedi is this jungle in the middle of a desert in the middle of Israel. And this is one of the locations that David wrote many, many of these ancient songs. It's here he quieted himself, got still, selah. He paused. Let's think about it. What does it mean for God to be my refuge? Well, here in En Gedi, you will see running all over the place this cute little animal called the rock badger. The rock badger. Here he is, cute little guy. Doesn't look too ferocious, and yet he's very, very hard to kill. Why? Why would this little fluffy guy be hard to kill? Because he knows how to find refuge and find cover. No matter how big the predator that comes after him, in fact, the bigger the better for how he defends himself. All over this area in Israel are cracks and crevices for him to hide in. Let me show you. If you're hiking along in a wadi, a dry riverbed, you'll see the, the rock badger runs up and dives into these little crooks and crannies and holes. And so no matter how big, in fact, the bigger the better, the predator is, the rock badger hides in the spots, the cracks and the holes. This is the idea David's getting at. Selah, remember, God is your refuge. God is your ever-ready help in tight places. And that's why the next word in this psalm or this ancient song is, therefore. Therefore, we will not fear. 
even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, even though the waters be troubled and roar around me, and even though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Pause. Think about this. If you've got a place to find cover, then even though things don't go the way you want, you're safe. Even though they're out to get you, you got a place to hide. Even though it's difficult, I have a refuge and strength. Now think of those words, even though or even if. There's a man who became quite famous the last couple of years. He had a movie about him a few years ago. His name is Bart Millard. He's the lead singer of a group that was really launched their career with his initial song, I Can Only Imagine. But you may not realize the story behind the song, which led to another hit song. He grew up with a father who he describes as a monster. You see, in third grade, he had to go live with his dad after a divorce. And no one knew that his dad was beating him, senseless, two or three times a week. In fact, one time his father beat him so badly, he had to lay in his stomach to even find any relief that night. Whimpering in his room and the door swung open in the middle of the night, lights flipped on, his dad said, what are you crying about in here? His father saw that he was beaten. He'd beaten his own son from head to hand to toe. That's the first time he ever saw his father cry when he saw what he had done. But it didn't stop. Three more years of beatings. Then in sixth grade, he finally got big enough that dad didn't beat him physically, but just beat him up emotionally. Yet Bart says during that time, he learned about the love of Jesus, about a heavenly father who cared about him, that wanted to affirm him when he was being destroyed in his own home. Then in ninth grade, something amazing happened. His father got cancer, and he was glad. It's about time the universe or God pay him back for what he's done. And that cancer began to ravage his body. But Bart says it gave him a front row seat to how God would transform his father's soul. Now, he didn't want his father's soul transformed or fixed. He wanted his dad to be judged, not forgiven. But he said he got a front row seat to the most amazing transformation he'd ever seen. What do I mean? Well, the amazing thing is that he started to listen through his his wall and hear his dad praying for him. Dad praying at all, let alone for me and for his brother. There was that big family Bible. You ever have one of those? Nobody opens it or just sits there all the time with dust. He would come home and find his dad. His cancer was eating his body away, leaning in, falling asleep sometimes in in this big old Bible. He said, my dad began to apologize. Son, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I am so sorry. His dad begged for forgiveness, owned all his junk, and by the time he died, when Bart was in ninth grade, sorry, freshman year of college, rather, he said, my dad had transformed from a monster I hated to a man I wanted to become. Bart had five kids of his own. One of his kids was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. 
and he toured the world giving people hope and courage. He said, sometimes God doesn't heal. Why can't God do to my son what he did to my dad? When I wrote that song about seeing my dad in heaven, I can only imagine. So he wrote another song about facing circumstances that don't change called Even If. Remember that song? If God is your refuge, even though, even if he doesn't fix it, you're still safe. He's still your strength. So listen to this next song. And as you do, Selah. Pause and think about the place of refuge to let you know that even though the world's falling apart, you're in a place of safety. You know, last year when I was going through some challenges, I must have listened to that song a hundred times on my phone. Even if I'm gonna trust you. Even if I'm gonna find you as my refuge. Selah. What's the second thing we Selah? Well, it's to think about God as a help at just the right time. That God shows up at just the right time. Here's what David says. There's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Do you want something that can make you glad, a river flowing from within you? Look, God is in the midst. He's in the middle of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And there's our word again, Selah. Think about it. Pause. God is available just the right time. When you think nothing else is gonna work, where's the help? At the break of dawn, he shows up. Now, most cities in ancient worlds were built around a river. You think of the Egyptians and the river Nile. It provided for them. Or the Babylonians had a river running right through their main city. Jerusalem's not the same way. And there's this idea alluding here that there's an inner resource that people don't know about that you need to think and pause and reflect on when you're facing challenges. What do I mean? Well, I'll give you an example. If you come to Israel, there's not a lot of waterways. And in 700 BC, behind the walls of Jerusalem, there was no river. So all the enemies thought it would be easy to defeat them. However, just behind the wall is a pool. And that pool is an unbelievable amount of engineering done in 700 BC by Hezekiah. He took two different teams, one at the north where there's a spring and one here with the pool and he, over the years, built, pickaxed their way toward each other with only an inch difference as they carved their way through the bedrock. So there's an inner spring within the city that fed it so when it was under attack, it was protected. In fact, here's what it looks like. They started here with the spring up north. And these two uh, tunneling teams made their way with a bucket brigade and they carved through this at 700 BC to form a way that this inner spring could feed and irrigate the entire city of Jerusalem. It finally makes its way down to this pool, which archaeologists have dug down and found in the last couple of years. And sure enough, there is this spring of water that irrigates and provides that an enemy or an outsider wouldn't even know about. That's the idea he's getting at here. Selah. God has an inner anchor, an inner help, and he comes at just the right time. 
just at the break of dawn when it's darkest, God shows up. Now think about that in your own life. Look at this anchor. We're in a series called Anchored. And this anchor means a lot to me. In fact, all these Zoom calls we're all doing, right? You get to see into people's homes. Welcome to my house. That's a picture of my, my bathroom. My wife and I were going through an incredibly challenging time about eight years ago. And it felt like everything that could go wrong and fall apart or press or crush was happening. And as we clawed our way out of that and we found God showed up, but not early. And not when we wanted. But he was a help at just the right time. My wife is an incredible artist and craftsman and she decorated our entire bathroom up with an anchor theme. A verse from the Bible that our hope comes from Jesus being our anchor. So every time I get up in the morning, I look at that anchor and remember that God was our help. Selah. Every time I step into the shower, I walk right past that anchor. Selah. God is the help at just the right time. Let me give you a third Selah. The third Selah is something to reflect on and give you courage when you face challenges. Think about a God who is faithful when we are faithless. And this is the main message of the Bible. Not that God does his part when you do your part, but a God who does his part when you and I don't do our part. He's faithful even when you and I are faithless. See, he says, the Lord of hosts, which is a way of saying the Lord of an army. God's got a whole army behind him. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Now that word Jacob may not jump out at you. Why should it? Because Jacob was a deceiver and a conniver. He was known for lying and twisting and stealing birthrights. And yet, God brags on being his dad hundreds of years later. He's not just, hey, I was the God of Moses. No, I was the God of Jacob. When Jacob abandoned me, didn't trust me, tried to manipulate life to his own ends, I loved him and I pursued him and I forgave him. Now think about that. Do you want a God that only accepts you and works in you when you get it all right? Or doesn't your heart long for a God who's faithful even when you screw it up? Even when you're faithless? Right, that's what he's getting at here. That's what the message of the Bible is. It's not religion, do your part and God will do his part. It's God, I didn't do my part. Like Bart's dad, Father, forgive me. Come and live in me. Thank you for dying for me. It's called the gospel, the good news. It's the main message of the Bible, that God is faithful, even when we're faithless. Selah, think about that. And then he goes on and says this. So come, if you understand it, come and behold, look around, think about, pause and reflect on the works of God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. And know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
The God of Jacob, there he is again, it's our refuge. Selah. What does it mean for you and I to Selah? To pause and think about a God who's in the midst of us, an army of host God who champions even when we don't do our part. What does that mean? What does it mean to be still and know that I am God? I think it's what God wants all of us to do every day of our life. Selah, let's quiet down. What does it mean for God to be your your cover, your refuge? What does it mean to trust him when it feels like he's not gonna come through to be there just the right time? What does it mean for you to recognize that he's faithful even when we're faithless? Maybe it's during these last couple months you've learned to be still just because you've had to be still in some ways. Be still and know that I am God. Many of you have talked about how a tool like our, our, our pathway, our prayer pathway has helped you be still and know that I am God. And it's in some of those stillness moments of a service or a video prayer that God has encouraged you or God has filled you up with a promise you needed. Or maybe he didn't just put something in you, he challenged for something to come out of you. You felt God saying, hey, I want you to give financially uh, to God's work here at Horizon. I want you to give to serve somebody who's in need during this time. I want you to give a double dose of patience to a family member. Be still and know I am God, that I am with you. In fact, one of our, our prayer groups, Tammy Hill was leading, and she described just an incredible story of how she and a group of women were learning how to pray. Now, what do I mean by that? They're going through this study called Becoming a Woman of Prayer, and most people felt inadequate. I, I just don't know how to pray. I've never done it well. I'm not sure really how to do it or how to even get started in the whole thing. One woman in the group just had a terrible, terrible accident happened back in 1996. She'd lost her father, her mother, and her brother in that one tragic car accident. And she hadn't picked up her dad's Bible ever. But she decided if she was going to learn how to pray, I want to pick dad's Bible up off the shelf. So she did. Having never opened it, she was amazed to see a note sitting right there in the pages of the Bible from her dad. And the note read, I don't know how to pray. My mind just goes blank and I turn my problems over to God and I have faith that he will take care of my family. This was such an incredible miraculous gift from God to hear from her father this many years later and see that her father struggled with prayer but her father even facing tragedy and difficulty had entrusted his problems and the care of his family over to God it's amazing sometimes when we get close to God he uses a simple tool like a small group a friend a message a Bible study, to direct us. But had she not got quiet enough to be still and know that God was God, she wouldn't have picked that book up and discovered God had a message for her from her father. 
that led to her ultimate heavenly father. One of my favorite songs that I listen to on my, on my playlist on my iPhone is a song called Learn to Be Still. It's a great song by the Eagles. And I think it's a way of expressing this idea. Be still and know that he is God. Can I pray for you as you listen to this song? Father, thank you that you are our hope. Thank you that you are our strength. For those who've heard the main message of the Bible today and they want to say, God, I'm in. Just in your own words, say, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being faithful when I am faithless. And speak to me and teach me how to learn to be still. Amen.